Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, September 22nd. What a weekend of tennis we have been treated to outside of the two ATP events, three WTA events, the Columbus Challenger going on in the professional world. It is obviously Labor Cup weekend, all of the top ATP stars in Geneva competing Team World, Team Europe, the third annual event. So many great moments from it already through these first two days. Joining me to recap that second day, and again, it, it, this podcast is an everyday pod, so we appreciate his efforts now because uh, there's just been so much great tennis to talk about. It is James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the mini break. Hey, hey, it's nice to be on, not officially as a host, less stressful. You know, I just come on as the great guest. It's good. It's a good feeling. Yeah, you're better as color commentary, anyways. Um, mm. No, I don't know if that's I, a compliment or is that a good thing? I don't know what it, that is. Yeah, it, it means you're spicy. I would say this that I have never been more jealous than when you and Matt did your college format podcast. <laughs> that was a brilliant piece of podcasting. Mm, appreciate it very much. I knew you were going to be jealous of that one, but that uh, that that little nugget hit me at work, and I texted Matt and you immediately. I was like, "Yeah, here's what we're doing." So that was a <laughs> no. very very fun one to record for sure. And it really, not that that podcast set the tone, but that sort of fun spirit has been the tone of this entire weekend because these Labor Cup through these first two days, as I mentioned, not only is the score itself close right now, Team Europe leads Team World 7-5, but I think all but one of the matches, uh, now all but two of the matches have gone to a third set tiebreaker. The level of tennis, people say it's a glorified exhibition, and that may be true in some aspects, but watching these players play in general just the atmosphere the electricity the intensity Jamie your thoughts through the first two days oh it's just been so much fun and I mean you there's so many different storylines to take out of it right and I mean it's it more than anything though it's just seeing all these different guys come together and you just see unique things that you don't get to ever see on the tour throughout the entire year except for this brand new three-day period and it's it's a ton of fun and pretty much every year I think at least me as a tennis fan, I'm getting more and more excited for the Labor Cup. Like when it first started, I was like, wow, this is going to be really cool. And now every single year, I'm like, wow, I'm looking forward to this three day period more than, more so than pretty much anything else during the entire year. And so it's just a ton of fun. You get to see combinations of people on the court that you don't normally get to see. The team aspect is something that is unfortunately lacking from the tour in a lot of ways. And this sort of remedies that. And it's just, it's a ton of fun. Even in, with all due respect to Mackie and Vicky, we talked a little bit about day one yesterday on our mini break podcast. By the way, Vicky and Mackie, Vicky and Cece, the two guests we've had on our past two mini breaks. If you haven't checked those out, listeners, definitely go give those a listen. But yeah, you talk about that atmosphere, the intensity. It feels like, you know, beforehand we talked, there's a little social media smack talk. And that's half the fun of this event is that the players really embrace that team environment. They have fun with it. They're coaching each other. They're cheering on the sidelines. All of these different things that you're right, we don't don't get to see day in day out but it feels like now that it's year three these players feel invested in particular and we'll talk about all of these matches today I think we're going to do a match breakdown then give out our awards for the day Um, but 
you know, Nick Kyrgios, him, he may have lost that match in the third set, but he is locked in in his match against Roger Federer, locked in in the doubles in the third set when it was crunch time at the end of today's event. You look at Roger Federer, his intensity from his match, you know, he goes down that first set after being up 4-0 in the tiebreaker, and it's not only that he pulls that out, but just he is in every player in Team Europe that that is playing. He's in their ear as the coach, with all due respect to Bjorn Borg. This is Roger Federer's team, and just to see all the these players so invested. That's just why I want where I wanted to start off because that is what makes this event so special. Is that it could be a glorified exhibition, but I think the proof through that we or what we've seen through this first two days proves that these players are invested. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They are so into it. And it's funny. I was just going to bring up that sort of comparison. Is it? Yeah. You know, when when I think this was first announced, I, I think that was maybe sort of the idea that some people had in mind is just like oh it's just going to be sort of this exhibition thing but that's not how it feels at all and that's not that's not how it looks or sounds at all too when you talk to these guys i mean they really care Federer is talking about you know how much these wins mean to him you can see it especially in the underdog team world faces right when they're getting wins i mean the the amount of passion in this event is just incredibly unique and it's awesome to see how they've all embraced it yeah, match by match, just all of these players, whether it's the players who are playing, they're on court demeanor, they're fired up, they're turning to their boxes. You know, you're seeing a hundred percent hustle from these players. They're playing big, they're they're going after the extra ball, trying to hit the miraculous shot, pump up the crowd. I mean, the curious around the net post in that third set breaker in doubles today. I thought that salvaged their performance. You know, that was the that could be the turning point of this Labor Cup, in my opinion. In that, not only were, was Team World able to pull out the point, but now they get some momentum. They're down 7-5, but all of tomorrow's matches worth three points. That it starts out with doubles. Literally, they could be in the lead after the first match tomorrow, and uh, that Kyrgios net post was what rejuvenated Sa Kyrgios in that third set breaker. So just the little moments like that, because it's a team event— that, you know that that momentum carries over, and that's not so. In a, in a slam, you have a breakthrough performance, and of course, you know we saw Medvedev arrive a wave of momentum all summer long. But it's like you know you can also be so physically exhausted after that breakthrough performance at a slam that the next match you lose just because physically you're not there in this team environment in the shorter uh, in the shorter matches. But the team setting, the alternating players, that momentum carries from match to match, and it's a palpable feeling. It makes watching the event that much more fun oh 100 percent. and i think too this is something i talked to matt about specifically and i've honestly been impressed with the team europe side in terms of staying fired up i think there have been some lulls from some individuals in particular we can get into that later but you know we expect this from team world right you know from the social media chirps to everything else i mean you knew that they were going to be fired up and, and messing around and honestly getting into some of team europe's head with whether you call them antics or not, I mean, they're crazy into it, And even if it's goofy, curious, and sock ways, or just pure intensity where they're yelling. It, it's, I don't know. You expect it from Team World, especially as the underdog. I've been impressed, especially with people like Fed and Nadal. I mean, they're so fired up on the Europe side, even though they are clearly the favorites to win. You know, it just doesn't matter. You know, they just show that they care that much about this event. And so that that's a really cool aspect of it, too. And that's helped keep the intensity of the event up in general as well. We're going to get to the match breakdowns next, I promise. But my last take about just the general feeling going into this, and I don't feel bad ranting at you. I, I don't want to talk when it's Vicky and Mackie or Vicky and Cece. No one wants to hear that. But, you know, when it's Jamie McDonald, they're like, Alex, shoot away. Um, but... 
going into this event, we talked a lot about the lopsided rosters on paper, right? When you have Federer, uh, Nadal, Zverev, Team, Fognini, given his form this year, uh, who's their sixth player that I'm forgetting. Uh, I'm sure it will come. Oh, Tsitsipas as the sixth man. And then you look at the team world from a singles perspective, Shapovalov, Fritz, Raonich, Isner, Kirio, Sock. I mean, on paper, it seemed very lopsided. And I think that was a feeling going in is, oh, we're probably going to see Team Europe really pull away in singles. But this is a a Bill Simmons thing. I don't know if you listened to it, but there's the nobody believes in us aspect. And literally going into this, I think Team World is riding off of the nobody believes in us. I think each of these players, maybe except for Raonic today in his Nadal match, but every match, they seem to be playing so loose. They seem to be playing not not to lose, but playing to win, going for their shots. Jack Sock's performance against Fognini on day one was the prime example of Jack Sock, despite having no confidence coming into this, despite looking like, respectfully, he still needs another off-season of conditioning to get back into peak shape. He just played big. He played not to lose today in the third set. Again, we'll talk about this later, of that doubles. Him and Kyrgios, they got on top of the net. They started moving. They played not to lose, and it's just that nobody believes in us feeling they're going for their shots. Yeah, for sure. And it's the nobody believes in us. I, I definitely see that. But I mean, you hear it when they're all talking, even, you know, they, this is coming from Isner today after his win over Zverev in that first singles match. They believe that they're in this and they are. I mean, that's the other thing, too. It's like it's not just, oh, here's we've got this belief at this point too. look, they've, they're coming in down five, seven. Like you mentioned, if they if they win that first match tomorrow, which is the Dubs match. So that's a very winnable match, albeit hard against, you know, Fed Nadal. They could be up. They could be up 8-7 after match one tomorrow. I mean, uh, look at guys like Isner and Sock on the doubles court. You, you can't tell me that they don't have a chance to win no matter who they're playing. So things like that, too. I think it is an attitude thing. But now, at this point, it's like, hey, we're here. And so I think, too, if even if they do get the lead, they can't let that slip um, in terms of – sorry. They can't let the attitude slip even if they get that lead change, right? Because even if they're ahead, they still got to play like they're the underdogs. They still got to play with that same fire that got them to that point. You know, they can't sort of let off and let the talent of Team Europe take them over. We talk about getting to that point. Seems like a perfect time to transition into our match recaps. Uh, to start, a reminder to our listeners: Team World came in. Or Team World, Team Europe came into day two leading three-one yesterday. Uh, the only uh, the only point Team World got on the board: Sock over Fognini. If you remember, Team beat Shapovalov in three sets. Tsitsipas beats Fritz in three sets, and then in the doubles, who was the doubles on on day one? I don't even remember at this point. I believe it was Federer and Zverev knocked off. Shapovalov and Sock in straight sets. Straight sets, right? I think so. It might have been three sets. The point is, that's how they built their 3-1 lead coming into today. Now, one of the fun parts of Laver Cup, the scoring format, day two, day one matches worth one point, day two worth two, day three versus three. I told my dad that. Funny little sequence of stories for our listener. I tell, I was like, yeah, you know, all of day two's matches are worth two points, he, and all of day one's are worth ones. And he goes, oh. And he's like trying to be funny. He goes, are day three's worth three? And I was like, yeah, they are worth three. And he goes, oh. That's pretty cool. That's so funny. That's so funny. I had a very, but not exactly the same, very similar experience with one of my buddies who, you know, wasn't that familiar with it, but he was watching college football on the big screen and I had Labor Cup on the smaller screen, screen in his, uh, in his living room. We were talking and, and uh, they had like a score 
um, in the bottom right, and it was the the fact it was just showing the score of the event overall. And so, you know, he made some comment. It was like, oh, well, if they, you know, if Team World wins this doubles match, you know, then the score will be. And he just added one. And I was actually, and I was joking with him, and, was, and he totally thought I was messing with him. I was like, well, actually, since it's on Saturday, it's worth two. <laughs> and, I, and I gave him this, and I'm going to start using it. It's, it's called the weekend multiplier in the Labor <laughs> Cup. And just that's that's what it is. And he was. It, it took him like a good two or three minutes of convincing that I wasn't just trying to mess with him. Yeah, look, playing with the scoring format can be fun. And uh, we're not going to get into this no ad or best of three versus best of five, but it is just fun the way they, they format this event on top of the team, everything making the later matches worth more. It makes, you know, when the rosters look lopsided, it gives all of these teams a fighting chance. But as we mentioned, 3-1 coming into day one, uh, day two, the, our opening match, Alex Virev taking on John Isner. And again, we were treated to another three-set match in this one John Isner, a 6-7-6-4-10-1 uh, you know, that he won. You know, he lost the first set breaker 7-2, uh, but the way he played in that third set breaker, this gets back to the fact this Team World team, they're playing to win. Isner constantly aggressive, constantly taking the first early ball he can and coming in behind it, taking advantage of the fact that Zverev likes to be six feet behind the baseline. This was a really good... Uh, serving perform. I, I didn't think Alex Virov played poorly. I just thought this was a really well-rounded performance and then a clutch ending from John Isner. Yeah, I mean, the way that John Isner took control of this match in sort of the business end of the second set and then, of course, that third set breaker was insane. I mean, his level was so good, and which is interesting, too, because you know, not to say we've been super confident in what we've seen from Zverev lately, but Isner especially, you know, a lot of 2019, he's been hindered by an injury, especially with that foot, right? And so we weren't exactly sure what what we were going to get. But I mean, this was a very, very good performance from John Isner. And I will say too, we can get into this on the Zverev side, a little bit disappointed in, you know, some of the attitude um, that I saw from him, just the negativity, whereas John um, did not show that and was definitely able to capitalize on it. And then once he got once he got some momentum in that third set breaker, I mean, it was just over. Here's the thing on the Zvira uh, energy level. I thought he responded really well to Federer and Nadal on the bench. I thought yeah, True. last night in doubles and then today he's soaking it all in. He, you know, when they're saying you have to mix up your variety, mix up your pace, you can't just go to the easy play in the big. I think that was during Nadal's match versus Raonic when he was trying to say, "Hey, serve to the backhand," and Nadal's like, "Well, I can't do that every time because then in the biggest moments he'll know it's coming." Um, and it's you know those sorts of little things. And still, Alex Virev to win. Uh, you know, I think he was behind that entire first set in terms of holding serve, or maybe he served. For, I, I think Isner did serve first in that first set, and just to keep holding, he served well in this match, much better than he'd been serving uh, prior to it. You know, seven aces against four double faults, getting away with four double faults for him is a steal. He made 65% of his first serves, won 83% of those first serve points. Now, granted, it's against John Isner, um, but you, against John Isner, you want to make first serves, give yourself, play wide to give yourself a ton of space to play serve plus one tennis. And I thought Zverev did a good job of that. But yeah, in those last, you called it the business end. Let's stick with that terminology. And the business end of this match, you get mad at Isner because sometimes he plays a little passive for someone his size. And it's a testament to his movement ability that he's able to get away with playing some sometimes seven feet behind the baseline. Uh, but 
against, you know, in that, at the end of the second set, in the tiebreaker, he was inside, you know, the baseline taking returns, following that return into the net, you know, putting a pressure on Zverev to make a pass. And, you know, through the first set and a half, Zverev made a lot of passes. But if you put that much pressure on a guy, it's very hard to maintain that level. And slowly but surely, Isner did all of the right things and put himself in the position to ultimately, and obviously he did, execute to win the match. Yeah, and I think this might get into a conversation that we could have later, based on what we were we were talking about uh, talking about prior to the pod. But I mean, you just got to call out McEnroe here on this match because this was awesome. Um, I mean, talk about a guy who, yeah, John McEnroe. Obviously, he's going to be talking about trying to seek opportunities to get to the net, right? But the way that he was able to convince John Isner that that is the way to go in this match and give him the exact directions to execute it was really, really impressive to me. Of course, Isner has to be able to actually execute it right. But at the same time, I I just felt like that approach was incredible. I mean, Isner put so much pressure on Zverev, especially in the second half of this match. He just constantly kept pressuring him and it paid off. It absolutely paid off. And not only was he putting pressure on him, he was completely, you know, asserting himself as the the person who's dictating points, right? And so when that takes a toll on you, and when he catches fire, I mean, you're in big time trouble. There was there were a couple of forehands. There was one in particular. I can't now. I can't remember if it was the very end of the second set or if it was in the breaker. One of the biggest forehands I've ever seen, John Isner hit. <laughs> I mean, it was Mach five, insane, and. It's just shots like that. He is going for them, and I, I don't know. It, it paid off really well, and you just got to call that out for McEnroe. I think that was that was a great job. Yeah, the last stat I would turn to on those net points, you look at how many points Isner won in total, 68. You subtract the 14 aces he hit. Now you're at 54. Let's say, and be generous, he hit another eight unreturnable serves, right? Or that zero got a racket on, but he couldn't really sure. do anything with Basically so 50, aces. Yeah. Exactly. So now we're at 46. So let's say of those 46 other points, he won 28 of them at the net. So yeah, that was when he was having success moving forward, being the aggressor. And this shows this format is perfect for John Isner. And it's why back to back years, he's been able to put together big singles wins because it's just a great or big singles performances, I should say, because it's a great uh, format for him. Third set breakers, even though he lost the first set, uh, this is where he thrives. So it was really fun to watch. But any final thoughts on that match? No, I got everything out. I'm sure we'll come back to it with one of your other questions. But in terms of the breakdown itself, yeah. And good for John Isner for pulling it out. That was a huge third set breaker. Isner, Federer tomorrow. Yes, we will come back to John Isner because I have a lot of thoughts on that match. But the next match I want to talk about, speaking of Roger Federer, the headliner as this is an event in Geneva. Roger Federer now on the court for his first singles match today. He lines up against, I'll say, would you say Nick Kyrgios or Jack Sock, or would you say both of them are the faces of Team World? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say both. When yeah. you're talking on the singles court, I think you say Kyrgios. Yeah, it's certainly. So that's fair. So we'll say the face of singles for Team World, Nick Kyrgios, the primetime match, you know, the second match of the daytime session. And boy, did this match live up to the hype. Roger Federer escaping, and I emphasize that word, with a 6-7-7-5-10-7 win over Kyrgios in the first set. And this is where I want to start, Jamie. Federer goes up 4-0 uh, in the first set breaker. And to get back to our central theme of this podcast, how you know Laver Cup matters. How many times have we seen Nick Kyrgios go down 4-0 and just fold it in? Nope, not in this one. He comes back and wins the first set 7-5. These players care about this event. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, you wonder... 
how much of it is internal and how much of it is, you know, him looking over and having these guys cheer him on. And that's what gets him over the, I mean, cause you could see that attitude switch, right? Like in those first few points, he did get down on himself and he was bummed out. And I, I was worried that it, it might just, you know, sort of fizzle like we've seen, like we've seen happen with curious, but that is absolutely not the case. He dug deep, got back into it and then took the momentum. And like you said, one at seven, five. So he completely stole that first set away from Federer. And it, it's just, I think you had a, a funny take about this match that I'll let you get to, but it was how solid he played. It was how disciplined he played. In the first set in particular, you look at his numbers, he makes 63% of his first serves and in that set wins 79% of those points, 57% of his second serve points. I mean, he was making serves, hitting his targets, going for the serve plus one. When in trouble, he was disciplined about getting the ball deep to the ad side of the court. Now, of course, Federer will run around that ball, but a lot of times Federer played slice backhand back. You know, Nick, one of the few guys who's down to get, you know, funky with the Federer backhand slice. He'll slice right back. He'll have those sorts of exchanges. And I just thought Kyrgios did a good job of keeping Federer on, uh, or on his toes in that first set, keeping him off balance. And this is, again, why we're so polarized by Nick Kyrgios, tennis player, because the level of tennis he can produce is oftentimes stunning. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's it's interesting, the point you make about variety. I think it is an important one, and I think it's something that Kyrgios executed fairly well across the match. At the end of the day, though, I do think it cost him some important points um, because I don't think he was doing the correct type of variety, right? He, he had some... I, I assume they were drop shots, but they just weren't great drop shots at all. It was like these sort of floating slice forehands. And I think he intended them to be drop shots, but they landed either far too close to the surface line or just with way too much air under them. And I, he just did some things like that in big points that Federer was able to capitalize on, which is unfortunate because for the most part, Curios was very smart with his variety, right? I mean, he would stick in backhand rallies and he would completely direct the ball. He, Like you said, he would stay in slice rallies with Federer because, you know, Curios has all the shots in the book. I think one thing, this is getting pretty specific here in terms of the tactics, but I really liked the play of Kyrgios just staying in a rally. Once it was established that it, it could be a long point, he would stay in the rally. You know, We've talked about this a million times, but his backhand and his forehand are so different, and it messes with people. You know, He would hit his backhand, just a solid rally ball, and then he would hit a big high heavy ball with the forehand up to Federer's backhand. And then he would take control, and once once he was able to, he would just pounce with a huge forehand. And that sort of play, you know, maybe it's not all the variety in the world, but that's the sort of solid variety that was going to win him this match. And I feel like toward the end, he just didn't have enough of those points to get him across. See, I, I could not disagree. I thought he was right there. I think it was... Maybe, I, I, I want to say it was 4-3, Federer, Federer serving down 3-4 in the second set. I think Nick had a couple of break points in that game, but he was up love 30, and he had a chance to go up love 40, and he just hit a dumb backhand, like he had the backhand volley, and he missed it in the net. And I think if he, like, it, it, it was that, you know, small of a margin for Nick. I thought he did everything else right. He kept the variety. Yeah, you know, he's going to hit frustrating shots, but that's how he keeps his opponent off them. That's part of the Nick Kyrgios experience is that he mixes in the brilliance with the, you know, sometimes just flustering. I can't believe you just hit that shot. Um, but from the Roger Federer side, I mean, this was just the discipline he showed, the the enthusiasm, the way he fed off the bench to watch him and Nadal. I, I tweeted this out, I think, so sorry to say this again, um, but just to watch some of the best tennis minds, not only currently, but ever, 
you know, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, not only two of the best men's tennis players, if not the two best men's tennis players of all time, but two of the best tennis minds ever to play the game, to watch them bounce ideas off one another uh, just in a live setting. I mean, it it puts tangles down your spine. You're just like, this is such incredible. It's incredible to watch because, you know, you know Nadal and Kyrgios, and I think they play tomorrow, so we'll talk about that a little later, but they have a tenuous history. Nadal has been frustrated by Kyrgios' game. He's had success. Uh, Kyrgios has had success against Rafa, so Rafa understands what a good uh, Nick Kyrgios performance looks like. Just to watch him and Fed bounce ideas off each other it it, it it's just that's again i'm all in on labor cup so let's take this outside of labor cup just a second i'm not gonna you know try and throw you down any rabbit holes here but say federer retires like pretty soon and nadal's just on the tour for a couple of years what if he's just like in his box coaching him i mean that would be that'd be awesome he won't though why why would he do that he like, i don't know look at it here he they clearly get along well and like he respects, you know, like, someone like Nadal is clearly respecting everything Federer is saying, and they know each other's games so, so, so well. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, it'd be sweet. If you're Roger Federer and you've retired from tennis, you need a clean break. Like, you can't be there at the slams, because then you'll be like, wait, I can beat this guy Rafa just beat in the first round. For sure I can still beat him. And like, Yeah, I but he like, doesn't care about that. Are you kidding me? Federer's not going to. He's no, the last person like, who's going to be like, oh, I could beat him. He, he, like he couldn't care less at that for point. For Federer, you know, he's had this phase as tennis player. Phase two for him, the next phase is something outside of tennis. And then maybe phase three is get back in the game as an elder statesman. I just don't think he's... I, I think there's going to have to be some sort of layoff. And during that layoff, Rafa... Also, I'm not saying it's realistic. I'm not saying it's realistic. I'm just saying it would be cool if it happened. Right now, if I said, who's the favorite, Federer or Nadal to retire first? Federer. Do you say that confidently? Yeah, with a decent amount of confidence. Yeah, I mean, of course, we've seen more injuries with Nadal in a lot of ways, but I mean, he's he's quite a bit younger. Well, the reason I bring this up, and this is how we'll transition into our next match. I thought Rafa Nadal, though he got the win today uh, over Milos Raonic, 6-3-7-6. I mean, in that first set, in the first three Rafa serving games, Milos must have had 10 breakpoint opportunities. Even though Rafa won in straights, this scoreline does not belie how close this match was to going the other way. Yeah, I mean, fair enough, but look, how many matches over the years could we say that about Nadal? Also, let me take that back. Westoff, give me a rewind symbol, please. To insinuate that this one match, after Rafa just won the freaking U.S. Open, is at all barometer that Nadal may retire before Federer, I apologize for that, listeners. That was stupid. That was a bad take by me. So Yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, He's 33, that, and he I just guess won the what US I was trying Open, to say, so. Yeah, that was a bad, bad, bad take. My my bad, listeners. Um, But with that in mind, I guess today I thought Federer was the, put together the more impressive performance than Nadal, who I just thought—and yeah, he just won the U.S. Open. God knows what his body— is feeling like but it was a shaky performance today yeah i mean you're right especially on those service games he really let he really let milo shan on a lot of them um and you know good for him for you know backing him back in his service games up and you know too bad for ronich i mean he had so many chances that he could have capitalized on and didn't um but like i've said before i mean how many times have we seen Nadal in this scenario right where mm-hmm. you know it looks like a bad game he's like down love 30 in his serve and then he just pulls it out, whether it gets to deuce six times and he pulls it out or if he just wins four straight points. Like Nadal digs out of holes better than anyone we've ever seen pretty much. So it's just 
it's just a matter of with these top guys too having the confidence to know that yeah i'm not playing my best tennis but i'm nadal like i can win this match like how many times have we seen that in majors too in in big events where they're not playing their best and they're like yes so what i'm still gonna win because i know how to win you know rafa looks in the mirror do you think he looks in the mirror every morning he's like oh i'm nadal and he's like i'm good I mean, it's definitely possible. I would. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I do that, and I'm freaking Alex Gruskin. So, yeah, I would do that if I was Rafa Nadal. Um, but, yeah, I, I the match to me, the quintessential difference between Rafa and Milos Raonic in this match, uh, or not the quintessential difference, but the biggest difference, how it manifested itself, Milos only makes 56% of his serves, and on those second serve points, he only wins 35% of them. I mean, yeah, Rafa does the Rafa things. He makes you stretch for that extra ball. He tracks down the extra ball. He makes it so hard to hit an approach on him because he's going to track down that extra ball, puts so much pressure on you with uh, his passing shot. And Milos Raonic's game is so predicated on getting around, uh, you know, finding, exposing the opponent, making him hit something soft to him so that he can hit the big forehand and move in behind it. Now, this isn't to say Milos Raonic didn't have a ton of success in this match because as I mentioned, he should have gone up 4-1 in that first set. He had numerous breakpoint opportunities and he shanked some backhands wide or Rafa was able to hit a big serve plus one in certain scenarios. But given that Milos pulled out of the U.S. Open with injury, I was actually encouraged by his play today. Yeah, I mean, that's look, this is the thing I was going to say too, is you're, you're comparing and contrasting really two people who have just had very different paths in 2019. Yep. I mean, it all just won the U.S. Open. You said it, Ranich had to pull out of it. We have not seen what Milos has been up to. We know Nadal just won a major. So, I mean, given that, this is not a bad performance at all. It's not like he went out there and lost 2-2, two and two, right? I mean, yeah. Raonic from the very beginning was bombing 140 serves and giving himself break opportunities. So uh, that in and of itself um, shows me that it, he's back on a path where he needs to be. Yeah, unfortunate for him, of course, that he didn't pull this match out, or at least maybe that second set because he did get the, the breaker. But um, at the end of the day here for Milos, this is a good sign more than anything. Do you know that every match but one has had some form of tiebreaker in it? The well, only that's match, interesting. Yeah, Federer, Zverev, Vershavavalsak, the only one to not feature at least one form of tiebreak. The reason I say that, I thought this second set tiebreaker was the worst of any I've seen. I mean, it was a 7-1 blowout. Milos just could not. At that point, Nadal had slowly been knocking on the door, had had some breakpoint opportunities yeah. himself in the buildup. Yeah. So Rafa did close this one in classic Rafa-Nadal fashion. But yeah, uh, we were talking beforehand, and the way Milos Raonic sometimes just like finds himself almost falling out, like falling over <laughs> as he's trying to hit inside-out forehands, but then he can just hit a spontaneous inside-out winner. Yeah. I mean, that sort of body control at 6-6, it is what makes him a special talent. Yeah, that's, that that right there is exactly what I was telling you on my, yeah, my drive home a, not too long ago. That was actually a Jamie take. I should give, so many, give him credit. I feel like there are so many times, too, where he just looks so uncomfortable running around the backhand, and it looks, he looks like he's like six feet away from it, and the, he's about to make contact. You're like, he's not going to make it. And somehow he gets his body. He <laughs> kind of looks like a T-Rex with his arm and then just cranks it like a 95 miles an hour cross court I don't, I don't know how he does the inside out forehand like that but when you say he's not gonna make it it's like you know when a door is about to be locked yeah. in like a horror movie and you like try and hold it open for someone and you're like he's not gonna make it. and then milo slides in well yeah and he's like stumbling and he like barely gets there and i'm like yeah i'm like hey this, this is not gonna. but then he just rockets a forehand i'm like well okay there we go I also want to say for Milos Raonic, and I, I, again, sorry to plug another tweet, but to have, I watched him 
Coach Fritz yesterday against CC Pots, and he was talking about serve locations. And I just feel like if you're Taylor Fritz, a guy who you could model your serve after because you have that sort of arm talent, really is a Milos Ranoch. And just to watch them interact as well, to talk about those sorts of things, you could tell Fritz was listening because no one hits their spots. You know, maybe Federer, but no, you know, few people hit their spots better than Milos Raonic. So again, dude, his I, serve it, is so good. It's yeah. just ridiculous, and, and so it's just, just huge too. Like, it, oh my god, I was skeptical. So I was skeptical at first, but you know, I am now one hundred percent in favor of him being included on Team World. I thought this was a valiant performance. Yeah, that's fair for sure. Yeah, and it set up a 7-3 lead for Team Europe going into the doubles. And as we mentioned, again, all of these matches on day two worth two points. So Team World really needed to close the gap here. Day three being worth three if they could win this. You know, they win that first match on day three. They find themselves up 8-7. And that's exactly what they did in this one. A little bit of drama in the second set. But Nick Kyrgios, Jack Sock, in my, op- in my uh, opinion... I would say commanding is too strong, but they were in my they were the controlling team. A, a, a controlled six four three six ten six win over the team of Nadal and Tsitsipas uh, to set the scene for you guys. After winning that first set, Nadal Tsitsipas, I think were up five two uh, in a double break, and then immediately Sakirios broke back. Oh five one double break. They broke back five two, held serve five three, put pressure on Nadal again to hold serve for the set, which is what he did. And the big takeaway for me in this match. Kyrgios and Sock, not only are they did they do so well attacking, but I thought in particular they did a really good job of attacking the Tsitsipas serve. I mean, it felt like Tsitsipas was under break point pressure the entire match. Yeah, they look, just as a doubles team in general, they are phenomenal at applying pressure. And that example you just listed is a great um, sort of pressure they were allowed to do, or they allowed themselves to do, right? Like they gave themselves clean looks over and over and over. And they pinpointed Tsitsipas, especially on his serve quite a bit. And, you know, an interesting dynamic here too. And look, the first set of this match is pretty much exactly how I expected this match to go. And when I saw that, I was kind of expecting a straight set win from them, honestly. You know, I saw them win at 6-4. I was like, okay, they look good. I think they're going to get another break and just ride this out. But was a little more concerning, and I don't know if it was really a letdown on their part. You know, I don't know if it's a mental thing, too, where it's like, you know, Team World, there's this kind of difference. Team World is the huge underdog in this, right? And so they're using that sort of mentality, but Curios and Sock have their own confidence. So I think in their mind, they always have this idea of like, oh yeah, we're, you know, people on paper are saying we could lose, but you know, we're so good and we got this and, you know, and with that added with the normal team world fire, this one's a little different, especially after you win a first set and you look at the Curios Sock, it, it could be looking, I don't know, like for me, for example, I'm saying them on paper as favorites for sure. And tons of people are talking like that. And so I don't know if that has anything to do with this result at all or the second set or it just like a change in attitude. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at though? Like it seems like there was just a little bit of a letdown in that second set from them. They kind of fell asleep at the wheel. And I think they had gotten to the point because, as I mentioned, uh, Pass just they, they found the code. They were like, we can attack this guy. I don't know if it was Rafa being not as good of a mover at the net 
I don't know if it was just Tsitsipas not serving, you know, not making many first serves. And, you know, when Kyrgios and Sock can find forehand returns, it's just so much pressure. I also thought, again, Kyrgios, his inside backhand return on the deuce side, if you go I form, he's going to beat you to the spot down the line. If you go regular formation, he can beat you to the spot cross court as well, put pressure on you as a returner. I think they just kind of understood, you know, I think they were like, we can break Tsitsipas whenever we need to. And in that point, because I think they had a game point in the game they got broken early on in the second set, the first break. Um, but yeah, they, they, yeah, they, it was a dip in intensity. But it, to get back to a shot I mentioned earlier, all of that flipped in the third set. I think it was 1-1 win. Nadal hit a, a little poach uh, dink, uh, dinker, you know, with you know, hits it flat down, just bunts down on it. And so it bounces high. Kyrgios tracks it down, goes around the net uh, with a forehand, not directly around the net post, but, you know, hooks it around the alley and back into the alley. And that was the turning point. From that moment on in the tiebreaker, you talked about the aggression Sock and Kyrgios are able to apply at the net. They're poaching, they're you know crossing, they're doing all these different things. They're playing big down the line. They're not afraid. They're playing to win. Yeah, this is a scary doubles team whenever they get together. Oh, absolutely. Too. It makes and, you know, Jack Sock yeah. being, I mean, not only, sorry, to, sorry, but when Sock, you know, Sock with his win over Fundini, shocking yesterday. But even if he didn't do that, I feel like this performance alone validates having both of these players on the team every year. Oh, for sure. And and this is what we talked about, too, in terms of them being the faces of it a little bit. They really are. And sort of doubles matches like this exemplify why that's the case. And it goes, you know, off the court, too. I mean, these are the guys, too, who... Yeah, they're doing the social media nonsense and they're goofing around. But they're also firing each other up and they're so into this that, I mean... It would be crazy to not have these guys on Team World because it's it's weird to think of a Team World team without them on it, you know. And so it's wins like this where they can actually back that identity up where that are just, I don't know, that are really, really important not only for the event but for them individually as well. Quick conspiracy uh, side note. So, Westoff, give me some sort of conspiracy sound effect, please. Well, what's Getting that going to sound like, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, but so, you know, talking about all the tie breaks we've seen, talking about now it's 7-5, doubles is first on day three, Federer's gotten wins, Nadal got a win, Sock got a win, Kyrgios looked great in his loss to Federer, you know, all of these different three-set matches. If you wanted to make a case that all of this is rigged, and they're like, all right, guys, we're going three sets, this is exactly how we're going to do it, okay? I feel like it is broken perfectly to say that. Like, again, so Kyrgios loses in the three-set thriller to Federer. Fine. We're going to give you a win, though, in the nightcap for doubles, and you're going to close the scoring gap. And I just feel like, I don't know, for conspiracy theorists out there who's like, it not, you know, it's corrupted. And, uh, again, I, got, I don't want to scoff at those because there's some of the money things about the Labor Cup. It is a little bit sketchy, but, like, this is fuel to the fire. It's like 7-5. Now we have to all tune into day three, of course. And Team World might get a chance to take a lead on day three. Like, there's not a little conspiracy there? I, I doubt it. I mean, there's a few reasons why not. I mean, all the passionate energy and intensity in it, too, I think kind of helps and think that it is. it's freaking hard to be like, all right, Dennis, you're going to look yeah. really good against Dominic, but then you're going to lose. You're going to lose 13-11, right? And <laughs> yeah. so if you were writing this script, too, yeah, this is a very entertaining script, but it's also like, I don't know, like if you were telling me that Fritz and Sitsipas split sets and one of those sets is a 6-1 Fritz win, like, 
I don't know. I, I don't know. That doesn't seem like something that's scripted, and maybe that's the whole point. I don't know. We're, we're really getting down a hole here. But <laughs> the point being, no, I don't think that's the case. Although I think Team World can sort of write this as a script of like we're the underdogs and we're going to win this sort of deal. And Nobody so in that way, in that way, absolutely, it's breaking out in that storyline. Yeah, they're the nobody believes in us team. And Fair look, for for the record, I don't believe in the conspiracy either. I just really wanted Westoff to find a conspiracy sound effect. Um, but yeah, again, Kyrios and Sock, they look really good. They end the, uh, they get the win, the two points for Team World to set up our day three, uh, which again, team, team Europe goes into it leading 7-5. All of the matches worth three points. Uh, we will talk about the match of the day at the end. But our last thing I want to do on this podcast, a little bit of an award ceremony for day two. We're going to give out some awards uh, that we've thought of, uh, MVP, LVP, uh, things of that nature. So with that in mind, Jamie, oh, first of all, Westoff, give me some sort of award ceremony sound effect, please. All right, Jamie, let's start with the MVP for you of day two. And again, for our listeners, we are only talking day two MVP. MVP of world, excuse me, MVP of day number two goes to somebody on team world and it's John Isner. I think that his performance alone, even though he only played singles today, was enough for this award. Because look, he was the most valuable one out there, not only just in terms of getting a win, but just getting an absolutely vital win. I mean, they needed those two points from him and for him to do it, to start and set the tone on day two, I don't know. I thought this was very, very impressive. My thing, too, is, look, it's John Isner. Like I said, we haven't seen that much of him or enough of him in 2019, but that doesn't even matter. He knows he's a veteran in this. He has the team-setting experience as well, and he completely, completely lived up to it. He didn't get rattled at all after that first set loss to Zverev. And then he comes out and wins 10-1 in a super. That is so hard to do. I mean, you do that against somebody who's, what, a world number, what is Zverev right now, six? You only let the world number six win one point in a tiebreak. Like, that's incredibly impressive. And so for that reason, um, and just his leadership role in this, I give him the MVP on day two. It's a very good choice. And I know you have a take. Uh, Can I share, can you give your take on awards in general, uh, just for the Labor Cup before we keep going? I will. I will. No, that's that's fair. I was going to let you uh, give yours first, but no, I'll go ahead and wrap it into mine. There should absolutely be an MVP of the Labor Cup overall. So once it's all said and done, after day three is over, once the winners and everything has been set, there should be an MVP award that goes to one individual for the entire event. I think that would be an incredibly entertaining thing. I think it's absolutely in the spirit of what the Labor Cup is trying to do from an organizational standpoint. I think it completely makes sense. And it's just, I don't know, it's just another added little sprinkle. Something the Labor Cup can do that they can, you know, write off as unique to them. I could not agree more. And for our listeners, on that note, if you're listening to this Sunday morning, later on on Sunday, we are going to be recording a live GSP on YouTube live stream so you can see Jamie and my smiling faces doing a 2019 Labor Cup Award Show edition, giving our awards. I'm sure we'll think of some fun ones between now and then. Uh, But, you know, MVP, LVP, best coach, those sorts of things uh, from the 2019 experience. So if you want to check that out, check out the live stream tomorrow. You will tweet out the link beforehand. So uh, look on Twitter, Instagram, you know, I'm sure there'll be plenty of social media posts. Uh, and for our podcast listeners, look podcast for our podcast listeners, look out for that audio on Monday as well. But yeah, I could not agree with you more. I do an all tournament team. I feel like 
I don't know who they're going to name the MVP. You know, it's you know the Russell Bill Russell MVP award in the NBA Finals. That may... it's the cracked rackets MVP. Now, it is our idea, so it's probably the James Foster, right, or the James Time Stickler Award MVP award. Um, but mm, okay, my ego's not that big. <laughs> I could do cracked rackets. It's the cracked no, rackets it's, MVP it's gotta be award. Neat. The real hint is you get women involved in this event, and then we call it the Billie Jean King MVP award. Is that is the in my opinion, I feel like everyone wins in that circumstance. But in the meantime. I don't know. No one else is. Eventually, it's going to be called the Roger Federer MVP Award when they do this event in 2030, right? That, so I guess we'll keep it unnamed until Federer retires from the event. That makes sense. But John Isner, good pick for MVP. I see it. For me, I think I got to go with Jack Sock, man. I mean, all right, this loops into my LVP as well, so you can answer. The LVP is probably Jack Sock aesthetically. Uh, Jack Sock aesthetically, just like. Again, I really do think he needs another offseason to get back. And he's been injured, so um, there is an excuse built in. But he he's a little big right now. Like you can, I think my, I'm saying this lovingly. My mom was like, damn, like his shorts are telling him, hey, like you got to slow down on the waist thing. Like we're screaming to get off of you. Um, but he, he, he's, he's just putting together that the performance against Fognini yesterday, inspirational. His energy on the bench sets the tone for Team World. Him and Kyrgios, when they're invested, the Team World bench is a more fun place when they're playing. You know, uh, If Sox playing, Kyrgios is locked in. If Kyrgios is playing, Sox locks in. And it's, again, trickle down to the rest of the bench as well. Jack Sox is the focal point right now of this Team World. And you know, despite him being a little out of shape, the skills he presents on a doubles course, he hits kick serve sometimes. And you're just like, Nadal is six feet behind the baseline. He's, you know, he can track down anything, and you ace Nadal with a kick serve. Like, how the f*** do you do that? It's unbelievable. And so I would, I, I just think his performance is the fact that, yes, they get the big win uh, in this doubles today, and now that he's 2-0 and in this Labor Cup, given the lack of success he's had professionally in the ATP Tour this year, that he can come into this weekend, deliver two wins for Team World, he's my MVP. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, he did. It's have, funny, by the I, way. I, I will say he did. He did have that loss on day one in dubs. But yeah, yeah. that's. Oh, you're right. That's true. But two and one. I appreciate the correction. And I feel like we should do this. And it's two leagues, right? We're not the the Labor Cup MVP will be one award when we do the real award award ceremony. But for now, Team Europe is up seven five, and I feel like the undisputed MVP, and that's why we're not talking about it, is Roger Federer. Right? He's the coach. He's undefeated. He's just all of these things. He's got to be the MVP for Team World. Our team Europe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's he's probably the MVP for this. I mean, that win over Curios, getting that out is huge. Um, and like you said, he's always in the ear of whoever's playing, and of course they're going to listen to him because it's Federer. I mean, he's guiding this team. He's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're definitely right in that regard. You can't argue with it. But I still like my Isner pick, the ten-one breaker. That's yeah, huge. It, it counts. And if he can deliver a win in doubles tomorrow with Sock yeah. to start the day, and that's yep. everything as well. Yep. So, but with that in mind, your LVP thus far, or of day two, sorry. Of day two. Yeah, this goes to the, the man who was on the other side of the net of Isner. Mine was Zverev today. I was um, not impressed with Alexander Zverev on the day. And it's not only because he got, you know, stomped in that third set breaker, because obviously that was unfortunate. It was the attitude around it. He was so negative um, for some of that. I mean, look, it's hard not to be negative when you're getting beat that badly in a breaker, right? Like, yeah, that sucks. But there were just moments where I felt like he should have been a lot more positive and he was just kind of getting down on himself. And, you know, you know, instead of being, you know, the fired up guy who's fighting, he was just sort of the, you know, shoulders down and 
sad boy of the tennis court deal. And it was really unfortunate to see too. And this is what really put the nail in the coffin for me as a LVP in the day is he came back out later and he was just in like, uh, he was in a gray shirt, red shorts. and was just like on his phone, like lounging and just wasn't like into it and just still seemed sad. And I was like, you know what, man, this is a team. Like if you lose that match, yeah, it sucks. But like you get fired up for the next one. Like, come on. Like that, that one was really what sunk in for me. You're going to enjoy how I'm cheating here. My LVPs on the day, all of the players playing in the ATP and WTA events this week. Daniil Medvedev made another final on hard court. Naomi Osaka made the final in Osaka. Sofia Kennan won another title. Borna Chorich makes a final in his return. JJ Wolf makes another Columbus Challenger final. And we're not going to talk about any of that because Labor Cup has stolen all of our attention. So they're definitely the L. I just feel, you know, it's the least valuable performance they're going to give this season because Labor Cup has been that compelling. If I had to go with a player, because I'm not going to cop out that badly, I wouldn't do that to you, Jamie. I thought you were just going to straight up not even answer. I was like, wow, that's Can I say Borg? Is that fair? Like, I'm just kind of dis... I mean, he's not a player, but Well, at least valuable performer. Not player, performer. Okay, fair enough. It's just because, like, he stands up and claps sometimes, but it just feels like he's a little disengaged. I just would... He's such a non-presence. He's just such a non-presence, compared to McEnroe especially. He is just But the counter to that is Federer and Nadal are on his bench, right? And that's always going to drown out everyone else. And it's Federer's team. We've said that from the get-go. He should just adopt the coaching label as well. But it's nice to have Borg involved. This gets back to my, if there's a tie at the end, Borg and Federer versus McEnroe and Sock or Kyrgios should be the tie-breaking match. Um, But I, I just, I need a little more from him. I I absolutely agree. He just kind of is there, and it's like okay. And then you go to McEnroe, and he's you know saying everything from you know emotional stuff to tactical things. And Boris just kind of like okay, yeah, good job. And then Federer comes over and tells him the real stuff. You know, it's just kind of like all right, you know, what are you doing yeah. there? All right, I'm going to pull a fast one on you. I'm sorry because we've gone a little bit longer. So we're going to save best social media moments, coaching performances for tomorrow's live show. So again, listener, if you're uh, listeners, if you enjoy this, check that out. But let's get ahead to tomorrow's preview. Your favorite match for tomorrow? Oh yeah, this one's tough. I I honestly think, at least right now, I think my favorite match is the first match of the day which means i might have to get up pretty early here but i mean how do you not get up for this match federer and nadal play against sock and isner slotted at what 6 a.m eastern oh that is oh that's you know the best part is i have softball at 9 a.m so i'm gonna be up early anyway so it's not as big of a pan i i'm an old why are you playing softball at 9 a.m what kind of league plays softball at 9 a.m temple league i'll tell you exactly what does it they rent out the All softball right. fields i'm sure it's a better rate from 9 a.m to 11 40 well, we get our games obviously. yeah we get our games in it gets everyone up early you can go to your sunday brunch or whatever uh it's a blast but because i'm an old man i always have to get up a little bit early do like 30 minutes on the bike so that my joints don't fall apart uh, so i'll be up watching that i i will be there for you and that is a great pick for me, just to slightly vary, and I, we don't have to do match previews, but again, for our listeners, Federer Nadal versus Isner Sock is the first match, followed by Nadal Kyrgios, followed by Federer Isner. Hopefully, they get to a sudden death match because I think we all would want to see Alex Zverev under that pressure with Federer Nadal on his bench against Milos Raonic. But I gotta go, Nadal Kyrgios. I mean, from. The intri- you know, they're rivals, straight up. This is a rivalry match, and God willing, Isner Sock win 
tomorrow morning's match. And I'm not saying that because I'm rooting for Team World. I'm saying that I'm not saying that because I'm anti Federer Nadal. I am anti the term Fadal, but I'm not anti them as a doubles pairing. I just, you know, we've spent this whole podcast talking about how fun it is to see these minds on the court together. But to see Team World up on day three, eight, seven, I mean, that's how you want to start the match. And then you have the Nadal Kyrgios with that in the background of all the momentum on Team World. We talk about Kyrgios is the face of their singles performers. He goes three sets with Federer. I think we're going to get a really, 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 I'm going to swear here, f***ing good day of tennis tomorrow. I, like, I'm, I'm yeah, really looking are. forward to it. And wait, can you run me through the order? Maybe we're looking at different things here. But it goes the dubs, and then Nadal Kyrgios is the first singles, yeah, right? Yeah, Nadal Kyrgios. And then Fed Isner, and then Zverev yep. Vranich, if it happens. And, and I right. think the only one yeah. that we're not going to have for sure is Zverev Vranich. I think, in, well, I think, well, because it says two asterisks. You don't think it'll happen? Uh, I know. I uh, I mean. I don't know. So let's end here. Your prediction for tomorrow. What happens? Oh, yeah. Come on. Okay. We have to. Uh, just overall scores matches whatever so i guess just for fun's sake well actually okay sorry before i answer this one question for you do you do you like team worlds isner and sock for the final day dubs do you think that's so isner sock 2018 indian wells champions they've had success at the labor cup before that you know they're familiar with one another i if you're saving Kyrgios for the big performance against Nadal, and that's the next match, I get why you play. And I like, again, when you're doing the conspiracy theory, having Sock and Kyrgios even up or make the match close on the sa- Saturday night, it makes sense. Um, no, I, I, I like Isner Sock. Yeah, I, I think Isner Sock, Isner Kyrgios probably a little bit better, but Isner Sock is my 1B team. Okay, all right. Fair enough. I liked Chapo. I thought Chapo sock. I was shocked they didn't win. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't ideal, especially losing they, the straight sets. And they had kind of bummer, so but, many chances yeah. on Isner or on Zero. But anyway, we could talk about that for another whole yeah, thing. Yeah, that'll so, be tomorrow. Let me tell you this. I think I would love to see Team World win this. I mean, I'll, I'll just say that a million times. I, it would be so much fun. But realistically, I think the Team World and Team Europe will split the first two matches. Um, I think Europe's going to get. Most likely, they'll probably get the Nadal Kyrgios singles win, um, and I think that Sock and Isner can get the doubles win. I don't know. I mean, saying that over Nadal Fed's very difficult. I just I'm hoping that one will go one and one. That's why I'm saying it. Then, unfortunately, I see Federer, you know, winning that Isner one. That would put the score hypothetically. Then, if you add three to both, um, no, Federer would, so be, that the would clincher, be the clincher. Yeah. That would be yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So. That would be the clincher. So um, if you're a conspiracy theorist, Federer clinching is the ultimate conspiracy. I mean, that is when you, that's when you're like, him clinching in Switzerland, something's a little fishy, but... Yeah, I mean, okay, that's fair. But they also drew it up like that. I mean, they get to set their lineups, so they know that. Yeah, that's true. And you want Federer closing, obviously. I, I'm, again, I, it's not that I'm rooting for either team. I'm just rooting for more tennis. So my heart wants Isner Sock. I also just think Jack Sock is locked in. I, I really have liked the way he's performing. I think, it, you know, they've had their success in doubles before. I think they'll make enough returns. I love the way Isner was stepping in on returns, as I mentioned. Oh, I'm hoping Kyrgios wins because then at that point, Federer needs to win to stay alive. I mean, that's equal pressure. Then if Federer wins that match, less of a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. 
I just want to see Zverev under the gun so badly. And at that point, I'll be rooting for Zverev because I'm always rooting for him. I'm always rooting for Alex Zverev. I mean, no, yeah, fair enough. But, like, in that scenario, if it really came down to Zverev Ronich for the Labor Cup, I would. Can you imagine how antsy Federer and Nadal would be on the bench? Nadal wouldn't sit down. He'd be be going to the towel. Freaking out. (laughs) Yeah, so. Let's hope we and get Borg a match number twelve. would be looking the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but with that in mind, again, I appreciate you going an hour with me. Any final thoughts on day two? No, day two is great. Let's hope day three is going to be even better. Yeah, and again, for our listeners uh, who have missed any of the action, check out the website, CrackedRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, us, our, our social media accounts, at Cracked Rackets. Please like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast, and on the Great Shot Podcast note, as I mentioned, we will be going live tomorrow night doing our 2019 Labor Cup Award Show well, we, we're, where we'll be doing things such as best social media moment, best coaching performance, MVP, LVP, all tournament team, all fun things we think you listeners will enjoy watching. Plus, I imagine we'll have a Jill Simone appearance, Jamie, if you're on the podcast. So with that in mind, uh, listeners, go check that out tomorrow. I always got to end these podcasts by giving a huge shout-out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Wastoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do. And as I've recently been saying about them, they're worth hundreds thousands of dollars uh so west off don't leave us anytime soon but with that being said for my co-host james foster mcdonald for our super producers max fligner and daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jamie what do we tell our listeners that's a break we'll see you all tomorrow thank you everyone 